Hello, everybody. I'm Senator Nina Turner. No, I'm not. It's Jessica Burbank. You're stuck with me again. And it's Ravana as well. We have a really good show for you. Twitter's a dumpster fire. Biden faces a roadblock with student loans. And Lindsey Graham gets crocodile tears. Ravana, how you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to be back with you. Last time we did a show together, Alex Jones played a video of us. So <laughs> we'll see where this one goes. Yeah, we'll try and get some InfoWars worthy clips in here today. <laughs> All right, Ravana is also a Rebel HQ contributor and host of Reactions on Twitch. Now let's get into our first story, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, so we know that Twitter is a mess. It's really a great time, I'm having so much fun. Um, <laughs> comedy was legal, then it was illegal, now it's legal again, it's a win for us. So we're gonna get to some of the serious stuff in the moment of what's going on with some of the fights within Twitter, what Elon's doing with the company. But first we want to highlight our Twitter holiday and some of the greatest hits to come from Twitter's tumble. So Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi and I do not agree on many things. But then thanks, thanks, I tell you what. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That is the last thing I'm gonna think about before I die on my deathbed. <laughs> I'll just see the Rudy Giuliani, them thanks, thank and tweet. <laughs> on a billboard, I want it on the side of the 405. <laughs> Tesla then says, you can't just build cars that explode anymore with the way cancel culture is these days. <laughs> Oh my goodness, another Tesla tweet breaking. A second Tesla has hit the World Trade Center. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I heard an analogy that someone said, this is like if the Titanic was sinking and instead of fleeing the ship, we all start grabbing pieces of the iceberg and throwing it at the captain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, then we have George Bush telling us how he really feels with I miss killing a <laughs> sad face. And I think it's hilarious that the subject is gaming. <laughs> George Bush is playing video games like man, it's not the same as the real thing. <laughs> and I love this, this is Ron DeSantis's new profile, which really I think suits him more accurately. I am your God now, Trump is a little Bitch, top accomplishments, 8,541 Floridians dead from COVID, unaffordable housing, collapsing property insurance market. And then of course you can see the emblems of fascism. So <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Then this one is dear to my heart as someone who cares a lot about American intervention, Chiquita Banana. We've overthrown the government in Brazil. <laughs> I love it so much. And then this one's a banger, right? This one actually has big consequences. So Eli Lilly had to apologize for a fake tweet because they someone impersonated the account said, we're excited to announce insulin is free now. We know they're price gouging for insulin. And then they had to apologize and say, we apologize to those who have been served a misleading message from a fake Lilly account. Our official Twitter account is LillyPad. Then their stock market or their value in the stock market started crashing after this tweet. So you can see there are some people who lost a significant amount of money 
I'm not sure why this happened. Some people saw the tweet, thought it was from a real account. They said, well, if insulin's free now, we're not gonna keep profiting off of people being sick. So let's sell these stocks. Um, this last one, I just think it's hilarious, but uh, we do have a disclaimer at the end. But here's Doja Cat who changed her account to Christmas, who said, I don't wanna be Christmas forever. Elon Musk, please help, I've made a mistake. Elon says, you should be able to change your name now. and then <laughs> Doja Cat is Elon Musk replying, thank you. So unfortunately, uh, that was an edited photo and Doja Cat changed her name to something else ridiculous other than Christmas, not Elon Musk. But it's so funny. I don't care if it's fake. Watch Twitter burn and let's all laugh while it happens. I'm having a great time. Rayvana, what do you think about all this? Are you a fan? Oh yeah, this is the most fun I've had on Twitter since Trump got COVID. <laughs> honestly, like the memes that came out of that moment were great. Um, the time where uh, Steven Crowder was like saying that he had to go to the hospital that didn't tweet for like a week was also <laughs> there was some really good memes to come out of that. Like there, this is just a, a fun moment. Like a lot of lot of good memes coming out of it. Also, an update for anyone who was curious: Doja Cat changed her name to Fart. <laughs> she wanted to to do there, um, but I was saying before the show started, I was genuinely like afraid that I would wake up this morning and just wouldn't have Twitter because watching all of this come crumbling down while Elon Musk is just continuously tweeting sideways laughing <laughs> emojis, which we all know it means that you're the most mad you've ever been in your entire life. Um, but like, <laughs> I really have enjoyed using Twitter. I've met a lot of really cool people through Twitter. I got my job working for TYT through Twitter. Um, so I'll be like genuinely sad if the company tanks and I we don't necessarily have a platform to fall back on. Um, also, like I have a lot of concerns about the way that the, they are handling privacy information. Um, as someone who has applied for verification before, I had to send a picture of my ID into Twitter, and I'm sure that information is stored somewhere. And now I feel like they're really, you know, liable to be. Uh, to open to like privacy attacks, and I'm afraid that my information is going to be released somewhere or be purchased by someone. So like, while the the comedy is uh, flowing freely <laughs> through the app, there's also just this thought in the back of my mind that like I don't want this to end. You know? Yeah, the comedy is great, but I'm weighing it against Elon saying stuff like activists are the reason we can't have free speech because they're organizing against the advertisers who are pulling. Their advertisements from Twitter and we're losing so much money and that's terrible. Are the activists actually destroying free speech though? Because we have a right to protest guaranteed by the First Amendment. So Elon himself is attacking the First Amendment. Not so good, not so good. So let's get into some more details about Twitter. Basically, what happens next is Twitter decides to pause verifications. Look at this headline. After users abuse service to impersonate brands and people, so let's talk about what got us to this disastrous but hilarious point in Twitter history. So immediately after buying Twitter, Elon did the following thing. 11, or sorry, days after Elon took over Twitter, just a few days after, uh, the day after some people got these emails, he booted top executives. He slashed the headcount by 50%. He pushed engineers to work harder and fast tracked feature to charge users to buy a verification check mark that is the $8 
uh, you can pay to be verified situation. So half of Twitter's 7,500 workers lost their jobs thanks to Elon. Uh, these are real people with real families that woke up to emails, woke up not being able to log into their accounts. Uh, people are calling this the purge. This headline says the Elon Musk purge has begun. Twitter employees tell the world they've been fired via Twitter, which is an, an interesting situation. Uh, but this could present legal troubles for Elon Musk, especially when you have companies uh, like Eli Lilly actually having financial consequences to what's going down on Twitter. So a class action lawsuit has already been filed accusing the company of failing to comply with federal worker adjustment and retraining notification act or warn act which requires employees with 100 or more employees to provide at least 60 calendar days advanced written notice of a mass layoff. So he's facing some internal lawsuits from the employees that got fired. It's ridiculous that he did this, but it's not the first time he just decides to ignore the laws that exist so he can continue making money for himself. So what's on the horizon for Elon and Twitter? It's not looking good. So he said that the social media company Twitter could go bankrupt. He said there's a massive negative cash flow and bankruptcy is not out of the question. <laughs> So not so good for Elon. Uh, he's been the head of many companies before when he was the head of an online banking company that got bought up by PayPal. He was then in leadership of PayPal uh, by an accident of the universe and the board was negotiating. How do we get him out of here because he's gonna make this company go bankrupt. And people talk about him like he's a brilliant businessman. It's really not the case if you look behind the curtain. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Twitter actually does end up collapsing thanks to this man. Ravana, what are your predictions? Yeah, um, first I wanna say I have been permanently suspended from Twitter not once but two times and crawled my way out of the depths of hell to get back on this app. So optimistically, I'm hoping that he's sort of booted out and that the app doesn't go away completely. If I'm being realistic, I think that it's going to go bankrupt relatively quickly and he will, you know, for the first time, I think maybe the emperor might have no clothes because he has publicly, very publicly made major mishaps with Tesla. And SpaceX, and sort of been able to skate by. But I think that if he puts Twitter under, I think that this one will maybe be the the last final nail in the coffin on on the illusion that Elon Musk is this wonderful businessman. I will also say I have a, a lot of concerns about. First, we mentioned he went in and he immediately fired the woman who was respons responsible, made the final call on banning Trump from Twitter. The other thing she was doing was fighting legal battles to prevent Twitter from having to turn over user data to the United States government and law enforcement agencies. So this is someone who was actually fighting for the protection, the privacy rights and free speech of the users on their platform and preventing them from being released to government agencies who might, you know, be looking to prosecute them. Another thing that Twitter has, you know, they have a human rights department, which was entirely let go when Elon Musk stepped into that position. And the reason why it has a human rights department is because there are activists who are in exile from their home countries who are speaking out against dictators and authoritarian governments. And they are 
at risk of the, those governments attacking the platform to try to get information about where that person is and personal information that they can use for nefarious reasons. So there's a human rights team to protect those activists to ensure that they have the right to speak out against their governments with some level of privacy while also being able to do it publicly to generate interest and and to you know continue to promote their activism. So the idea that this man has stepped in to protect free speech, all he has done is the exact opposite of that and charged everyone $8 on top of it. So just yeah. ridiculous. I think we have to mention in this story that Elon Musk is such a sad and insecure man who is recently divorced. And how much of his personal psychology plays into this when you have an insecure man buying a platform where people go on there. Some people call it the bad place or a hell site. What do you think is gonna happen? I mean, seriously, but let's also mention that Grimes, his ex-wife is in circles with people like Chelsea Manning, who is someone who I'm sure has had to be a subject of conversation in the human rights department of Twitter. Like when you are a billionaire with this much power and these are the people in your circles, you can make decisions that impact people for a reason of your own personal beefs that have global consequences. And so very scary times. Any last thoughts on this Ravana? Um, yeah, just before the site goes down, make sure that you tweet out the picture of Elon Musk and Ghislaine Maxwell as much as you possibly can. Go out fighting. <laughs> Absolutely, that's great. I saw the there was a tweet that was like, these are the two founders of, of Tesla, which is hilarious because neither of those two people are the founders of Tesla, <laughs> Elon included. He ended up buying into the company, so that was a great one. But yes, retweet the video of Ghislaine Maxwell and Elon Musk, I second that. All right, let's get into an update on the class war in the United States. So we all know of Biden's student loan debt cancellation plan, $10,000, $20,000 if you are a Pell Grant recipient, if you make under $125,000 a year. This cancellation plan, I would argue, is not enough. It's very fair, but nevertheless, it is infuriating to members of the right in this country. And a federal judge in Texas has decided to block it from moving forward. So US District Judge Mark Pittman, a Trump appointee ruled on Thursday that Biden's debt relief program is an unconstitutional exercise of Congress's legislative power and must be vacated. The Education Department had already been prohibited from moving ahead with Biden's student loan debt relief program under a temporary order from a federal appeals court in a separate case. But the latest decision goes much further in permanently prohibiting the education department from carrying out the entire program. So the administration filed this appeal late Thursday night, so last night. And then White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said in a statement, the president and the administration are determined to help working and middle class Americans get back on their feet while our opponents backed by extreme Republican special interests sued to block millions of Americans from getting much needed relief. So let's talk briefly about the legality of student loan debt cancellation. Congress has granted the secretary a more specific and unrestricted authority to create and to cancel or modify debt owed under federal student loan programs in the Higher Education Act itself. 
So the part of the Higher Education Act of 1965 that they're talking about grants the Secretary of Education a few powers, including the power to enforce, pay, compromise, waive, or release any right, title, claim, lien, or demand, however inquired, including any equity or right of redemption. So before we talk a little bit about how we got ourselves in this situation where people are crippled by the amount of debt that they have, let's just unpack how Trump appointed just judges are moving forward with taking legal action against the President of the United States, who's pursuing a policy that is very popular. So Ravana, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, first of all, I had $20,000 of my student loans forgiven, which has been a huge weight off my back. Like, uh, so that's number one. I immediately felt the impacts of it. Um, I know lots of people similarly situated to me are benefiting from this. Um, second of all, I want to say that one of the people who brought this lawsuit had uh, tons of PPP loans forgiven. None of the people who brought these lawsuits have standing to bring this lawsuit. And the judge who made this ruling doesn't have jurisdiction to create a nationwide injunction on this program. So the whole thing you know, on the legal side is very Trumpian, so to speak, which you would expect from a Trump appointed judge. But it's massive overreach on an issue that has been you know, decided by the best legal minds in the country that it is 100% within the power of the president to do this action. But like you said, I agree, it doesn't go far enough. All student loans need to be forgiven. And I'll just say really quickly as someone who's in their last year of law school, I think a lot of the arguments against student loan forgiveness is, although they're overwhelmingly going to go benefit the people who are doctors or lawyers who are going to be making tons and tons of money, which I mean, first of all, the program is means tested. So you know, the people who are benefiting from this are not making tons and tons of money. But that aside, like they are typically use the averages of income from these groups. Because you know, if I who makes $15 an hour representing disabled people in housing court as in a room with someone who works for the one of the major law firms in New York City, where they start out at $400,000, the average income between the two of us is going to be exceptionally high. But if you actually like get down into the weeds and do like the median income, there's a huge, uh, you know, it's massively disparate from from the numbers that they're telling you. And alleviating the sort of debt allows people to go into careers that they're interested in, or like allows lawyers to pursue public interest careers, which is a very important public service that people are, you know, pushed away from because the pay is not very high and the debt that you accumulate while going to law school is. So this program really helps level the playing field. Of course, it should go further and forgive all student loan debt. And we need to have public options for schools in every single state that are free. But seeing seeing this massive overstep of the judiciary branch is really heinous in my opinion. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Also as a Pell Grant recipient, this is a great program. And you have all of these people on the right saying stuff like, we can't forgive rich people's student loans. These are all rich people. But the criteria is that they have to be earning under $125,000 a year. I'm glad you brought up PPP loans because the government forgave $748 billion in PPP loans. More than 70% of those loans went to people in the top 20%. And why is the right not pursuing lawsuits saying that this was ridiculous and they didn't have the power to do it? Because they only care about rich people. They hate this policy because it helps working class people at the expense of rich bankers. So let's get into some of those those details. College was free. 
for state public schools until about the mid 70s. A particular advisor in the Reagan administration did not like this. Here's what he had to say, his name was Roger Friedman. He said, we are in danger of producing an educated proletariat that is dynamite. We have to be selective on who we allow to go through higher education. This is insane. Just the fact that he said these words and they are written down is the quiet part being said out loud very clearly. So college attendance in the United States didn't really skyrocket until the financial crisis. So I put together the the recipe for the student loan debt crisis in the United States. So wages were decreasing during the recession, so people had less money to spend. States had their budgets cut, which means public college was not subsidized as much. More people started going to college because they were sheltering from entering a bad job market. So they decided to go to college instead. They didn't want to enter the bad economy. Then we saw the rise of for-profit colleges and huge tuition hikes. This led to a 100% increase of student loan debt in the United States. Let's look at this chart here. So this shows the change of public college tuition for a four year university on average in the United States. And it includes an inflation adjusted metric. That's the, the darker line on the top. So insane, you can see the difference between 1970 and 2019, 2020. The way that people make money off of this is, you know, there are bankers and people who are very wealthy who are invested in these for profit colleges, but we also have private student loan debt servicers getting very rich off of student loan debt. They make money off of servicing and consolidation fees, which can be 0.9% of the total loan. They can get $30 for every single consolidation of loans. We know that people have loans coming from many different places and they can make up to $400 to $1,000 per borrower. That is a lot of money when you consider that we have $1.8 trillion of student loan debt in the United States and we don't know how much of that amount is fees and is accrued interest, which is disgusting. We should know what that figure is. So I wanna talk about one specific lobbyer, but all of these student loan debt servicers are lobbying Congress to not cancel student loan debt, even though this was a predatory practice made to make rich people richer. So Navian, who is a student loan debt servicer that was acquired by Maximus. They decided to stop servicing student loans when repayments were paused during the pandemic. They were like, well, I can't make any money off of this right now, so I'm out. They gave over $10 million to members of Congress and 4.2 million since 2016. They are literally paying people to not cancel student loan debt because people know this is the right thing to do. Higher education is a good investment. Having an educated workforce is actually good for the economy. It's not gonna tank the economy to cancel student loans. There are tons of economic analysis that shows people not being cost burdened by having to pay this amount out to pay off their student loans every month. They will start spending money into the economy on other things like buying houses, like spending their money on discretionary goods that they can't afford right now. This kind of thing could stimulate the economy. So it's just a little bit disgusting that this is the history there. And it's so blatantly obvious to so many of us that they are just doing this to make more money and protect their wealth. And they will go so far as to try and block people from getting 10 to $20,000 forgiven. Ravana. 
Yeah, just I want to remind people that um, Betsy DeVos, who was the Secretary of Education on, during the Trump administration, her family, one of the, the largest owners of student debt. <laughs> so she had a vested interest in delaying um, student debt forgiveness programs, even passed under uh, the, the you know limited types that were passed during the Trump administration. So um, I mean, this corruption goes all the way up and one last appeal to the idea that the people who are getting this forgiveness are not the rich, the elite, the people who are the highest income earners in the country. Those people don't have to take out student loans. People coming from wealthy families are able to go to college without having to take massive student loans because their families are paying for their education. But people who are working class like me, like my friends, we had to work full time to put ourselves through college. And I'll say we deserve relief. We deserve relief way more than the the wealthy corporations and the wealthy business owners did for their PPP loans that they mostly did not go into protecting the paychecks of their employees. So, you know, this is something worth fighting for, and you know, I'm going to keep standing in support of student debt forgiveness. I would even if I didn't benefit from it, and I hope that everyone watching will as well. Yep. This was a corrupt money making scheme for bankers and people who have a ton of money, and to get justice and correct that. You've got to cancel a student loan debt, very simple. All right, we've got to go to a break. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Unbossed. It's me, Jessica Burbank, joined with Ravana, who like Beyonce, I feel like just has Ravana as, as her name. Um, <laughs> it's not Ray Space Vana, as, as some people might believe. It's just one word. Yeah. I love it. And people love you on Indisputable. We're getting a lot of good comments. Groove Dragon says, sweet, strong women energy every time. Oh. Darren says, happy Friday, Jessica and Ravon. Thank you, Darren. And Chill Paradigm says, first time I get to watch Unboss Live. It's an honor that we get to be here for your first live. Very exciting stuff. Uh, I'm just going to remind you super quick. Brittany Griner still not free. We're using the hashtag WeRBG. And we also have a fundraiser because the people in Jackson still don't have clean water. TYT.com slash relief. Make a contribution there for clean water and testing kits over in Jackson. Now, we've got a couple stories for you. We're going to get serious and then we're going to get into something fun again. I promise. So let's watch this. I'm still the mother sheriff, and when I, I found my god fucking black bastards. That's like, I'm scared. That's stupid. Every black that I know, you need to find him to start with. He's safe. So that was leaked audio from Sheriff in Columbus, North Carolina, Jody Green, caught saying very racist things on a recording. And the recording was made by Jason Souls. Uh, he was a captain under Green at the time. Now, before we get into this further, let's get into some backstory about the sheriff in this situation. So court documents reveal that District Attorney John David had obtained an audio recording from the State Bureau of Investigation of a phone call Green was on. The court documents, a petition to remove Green from office, say that Green made the comments while he was suspended from office as the State Board of Elections investigated his residency status. According to those documents, Green was convicted convinced there was a leak in his office that resulted in the investigation and was heavily focused on Lewis Hatcher, the county's first black sheriff, and Melvin Campbell, 
a black sergeant, as well as other black employees whom he felt undermined him. So more on the investigation. Souls recorded the call between him and Green two months after Green defeated Lewis Hatcher in the 2018 election by just 34 votes. The election results were partly protested on concerns that Green did not actually live in Columbus County as required by North Carolina's law. He was also improperly sworn in before the state certified the election results. So this recording was released in late September of last year. Now that we have that settled, let's talk about what's transpired in the past two weeks. So the North Carolina sheriff who disparaged black employees resigns. Green resigns, he's gone, right? Think again. The North Carolina sheriff reelected two weeks after resigning over racist comments. Reelected? How is this possible? Uh, there's another element to this story, his opponent in this election. Let's get into those details. Unofficial election results for the county show that Green garnered more than 10,000 votes to be reelected as sheriff compared to the fewer 8,500 secured by his opponent, Jason Souls. There's that guy again. So the voters decided that the man who exposed Green as a racist was better fit for sheriff than the man who made the racist comments. Makes a lot of sense. So Green tried to play it off with some lip service. He said, I'm so honored for your vote of confidence in me and the staff at the sheriff's office. I promise we will not let you down. I am a sheriff for everyone, no matter race, color, religion, sexual orientation, or national origin. I would say that this is BS and just another example of racism in law enforcement and the fact that so many cops don't live where they are serving. You've gotta love the community you wanna serve if you're gonna protect it. And that's why we keep us safe, cops don't keep us safe. So let's look at this headline from the middle of the summer. Prevalence of white supremacists in law enforcement demands drastic change. Analysis found that some of the instructional information presented by police trainers was explicitly racist and that some instructors endorsed and interacted with white supremacist criminal groups such as the Proud Boys. The analysis by Reuters found at least 15 self-identified law enforcement trainers and dozens of retired instructors listed in a database of members of the Oath Keepers, one of the several violent anti-government groups that led the insurrection at the US Capitol on January 6, 2021. So Germany is a country that has a history of fascism. And when they found one group chat of some officers in a division you know, spreading some fascist sentiments. They fired everyone in that division. We need to be as serious about the rise of fascism in the United States, especially in law enforcement. And this guy's gonna be the sheriff again, Ravana. Yeah, you know, as the saying goes, some of those that work forces. <laughs> but um, I do like that he made this equal opportunity statement about being the sheriff. He was like, I'm the sheriff for everybody, regardless of race, uh, gender identity, uh, sexuality, whatever. Like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> we heard the recordings of you. But I do want to say, we heard recordings and audio of him being explicitly racist to people who work for him, black people who are part of uh, this, this systemically racist institution. You can't even begin to imagine how he's treated black people who live under his jurisdiction. Black people who are arrested while he was the sheriff. If this is how he's willing to, to treat people who work, black people who work within his own police or sheriff's department, 
that just begs the question, how horrifically was he treating black people who live in the community that he's supposed to serve and protect? When we can plainly see that all he was meant to serve and protect were his own interests. So I think that there's a larger issue here. Every arrest of a black person, every process, every arrest that led to a prosecution of a black person, the treating of black people within his community by his department needs to be investigated. Because again, if that's the way he's willing to treat his own employees who are black, he must be willing to treat the black people who live in that community much, much worse. So there's there should be a magnifying glass on his actions towards black people within that community as sheriff. I really love that we're bringing in the rage against the machine. The same network forces burn crosses. Couldn't be more true. And in LA, like we have had police officers from the South come to Los Angeles to work here and train people up on their methods of racialized policing. It's just disgusting the state of police in America. And I know there's a lot of people that are like, hey, you know, deep on the police isn't very popular. You know, my uncle's a cop, what have you. But in Los Angeles, we had someone run with billboards showing the police budget of $3.2 billion compared to housing and youth development. And this was a compelling message. Kenneth Mejia won with 60% of the votes. So when you really break this down for people and you're like, how safe do the police make us? Should we invest in something else maybe? Do you feel safe calling 911? When you have that conversation and you talk about better spending for public dollars, people are pretty fed up with how the police are operating in the United States. There's a lot that's gotta change. And the fact that this guy got more votes then the person who exposed him for being a racist is insane. That means there's a significant amount, 10,000 people in this North Carolina County that were like, that's our guy. That's sad as well. Any last thoughts on this? Yeah, just touching on the idea that like it's good policy to like run on tough on crime. The reason that the Democrats are probably gonna lose the House in this election is because of Democrats in New York, like Sean Patrick Maloney, who ran a tough on crime campaign and lost their elections. And are turning now pivoting to blaming the progressives, despite the fact that the progressives all won their races and weren't running on tough on crime stances. And like you mentioned in California, literally displaying the the overinflated police budget and destroying his opponent in that election. So, um, you know, I, I think that the establishment Democrats need to take a hard look at what wins campaigns, and it's not it's not licking the boots of the police. It isn't. Thank you. Yeah, tough on crime is not a winning campaign platform at all. And I just want to mention a lot of people look at crime statistics. Crime statistics only exist if the police are there arresting people. Guess what? If there's not a, a police officer in a neighborhood over policing and targeting black communities. There's no crimes being committed because there's no crime data being recorded. We know that police officers stop and harass people and then end up arresting them for resisting arrest when they initially did nothing wrong for the police officer to approach them. And that's a recorded incidence of crime. We need to really interrogate where crime data comes from because if there's no police officers over policing those neighborhoods, there's no crime being recorded and suddenly crime is down. They're also inflating those statistics there. So I had to get that in, but I promised fun stuff. We're gonna get to the fun stuff now, let's watch this. Here's the most important point I'm gonna make tonight. They're, they're trying to destroy Herschel to deter young, men and women of color from being Republicans. If they destroy Herschel, 
it will deter people of color from wanting to be a conservative Republican because you just have your life ruined. We cannot let that happen. We need his. We need to have his back. We need his. We need to have his back. I think he was going to say we need his seat. But then he adjusted before the Freudian slip fully came out and said, we need to have his back. Also, is the hatred of Herschel Walker being spewed, which are valid criticisms most of the time. I don't even want to say it's hatred. But are the valid criticisms of Herschel Walker from people on the left and people in the Democratic establishment, why Republicans are not getting votes from the black community? Let's watch more of this ridiculousness. If Herschel wins, he's going to inspire people all over Georgia of color to become Republicans. And I say all over the United States, Herschel Walker is a nightmare for liberals. He's an African-American conservative. They have belittled him. They have treated him like crap. His family stand by Herschel tonight. If you can give, give. If you know somebody that can give, ask them to do it. TeamHerschel.com, the conservative movement for people of color is on the ballot in Georgia. We must help people like Herschel for the benefit of our country and the future of conservatism. TeamHerschel.com, please. All right, I don't know how he made those crocodile tears come up. And we're gonna get to another hilarious video of Ted Cruz, but I wanna unpack Lindsey Graham first. I think he was able to muster up those tears because he was like, I can't believe I have to be doing this right now. Like there's no way he is upset that deeply about how Herschel Walker is being treated. I don't believe it. I think he's a ruthless man. He's governed like a ruthless man who doesn't care about working people, especially people of color. And he just cares about his party winning. He cares about maintaining power. That's all he cares about. He cares about a Christian nationalist vision for the United States, taking away the rights of women and making sure that public goods are not delivered and instead our economy is privatized. And those same goods that should be provided by the government are now in the hands of corporations who would rather profit than ensure people have things like housing and healthcare. That's my take on Lindsey Graham, Ravana. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that the Dem or the Republicans, excuse me, are so upset that this red tsunami didn't happen is because they really wanted to rub it in the faces of the Democrats and they now can't do that. Because the Democrats are framing this as a victory as they should. I mean, this is the most successful midterm election that a president who's gone into the election with all chambers of Congress and the presidency has seen in a while. And the pundits were all wrong. A lot of the polling was wrong and the Republicans were wrong, but they thought this was gonna be like vindication for them. It was it was going to be an outlet through which they could attack Democrats and you know essentially stroke their own egos, and they have been denied that, and they're frustrated about it. Also, you know it it hampers their ability to, um, you know, enact their neo-fascist ideology through. Uh, the legislator, but uh, now look with it looking more and more like Masto's gonna win re-election in this for the Senate in Nevada. Um, they're desperate when it comes to this Georgia race because if the Democrats go in already having this slight majority in in the Senate uh, with the you know 50 plus the vote of the Vice President, that's really going to deter Republicans from turning out and voting in the special election there, which is going to hurt Herschel Walker's chances of winning. Um, so you know they're flailing, they're desperate, and they are ultimately really pissed that they didn't get to do a little victory lap and spit in the faces of the Democrats. I think that's absolutely right. I want to play this video now for us of Ted Cruz 
just just watch this. Hypocrite and being a pastor, I say this, how can he keep the almighty oath to the almighty God and he keep it for them? He hadn't kept it for neither, nobody. So that proves the type of man he really is. All right. So Cruz, you're the lead blocker here. You're going to have to open up some holes for Herschel. What? Oh man, Ted, Ted was cold. You're like Ted, you don't have to, you don't have to gain engage with this too much. Just please, just smile and nod, and that's all Ted could do. Seriously. Open up some holes. <laughs> Let's get a good football reference in there. I think, I think the the people will love that. Jesse Waters is such a Chad. It's ridiculous. But Ted just, mm-hmm, 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 <laughs> nodding before the words even come out of his mouth. Herschel could have said anything and Ted would have just. And he did say anything, because what the hell did he say there? That meant that was just meaningless words <laughs> coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and Ted's like, yeah, insightful. Mm, I will open up your holes tonight, <laughs> Herschel Walker. <laughs> Ted Cruz, you've got to be the blocker. I would love to see Ted Cruz on the football field blocking for Herschel Walker. Can we please see that? I'm just scared for the national attention that's going to be thrown at Herschel Walker even more than before with this runoff. Any last thoughts, Rihanna? Yeah, um, right. right. Call you <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, right now, what the Biden administration needs to do is uh, hammer hard on that Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. That's how you win this election in Georgia. That's the messaging going into it. And we need some sort of uh, economic relief from the uh, Biden administration to get people to the polls. But we need that strong messaging that if Herschel Walker is elected, the uh, Republicans are going to try to take away your Social Security and Medicare, and uh, that Raphael. Warnock is going to protect it, and who who do you feel? Uh, who would you be more comfortable with in control of your ability to retire in dignity and be provided with health care as you enter old age? You know, that's the messaging that's going to win that that runoff. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I think I called you Rihanna because we just talked about football, and I'm thinking about the Super Bowl performance now. But <laughs> no, but that's a very good point because. Warnock won on $2,000 checks, getting mm -hmm. something done for working people. They've got to talk about Social Security and Medicaid, which the Republicans are rearing up to cut. All right, we've got a great story. Donald Trump's melting down. We'll, we'll cover that after the break. Welcome back to Unbossed, it's Jessica and Rayvana here with you. And Brett Campbell, who says, is Graham buying bronzer from Trump? That's a good question. I didn't clock that he was looking orange. Yeah, a little bit, had a little tinge to him. Oh man, Captain Cornball says, <laughs> Lindsay is panicking because he thought he'd have some of his power back. <laughs> there it is. Aw, and bosses of talk. Does that mean TikTok? Bosses of Talk says, Miss you, Nina. Jessica and Rayvana are great guest hosts. We're trying to take care of the baby while Nina's away, like good godparents would. <laughs> All right, let's get into Trump's ridiculousness. Let's watch this. What's different about this from other fights that he's picked? When he does something like this and he attacks Liz Cheney, then MAGA World goes, yeah, right, go get her, right? Ron DeSantis, they, MAGA World loves Ron DeSantis. I've got friends in Florida who are non-political family, um, and they're, they're 
torn by this because they love their governor, but they love Donald Trump. And so when they see Trump going after DeSantis, they're like, what is he doing? Why are, why are they, why, why is he going after him? And it's like watching your parents fight. You know, and, and so going after him preemptively in this way is very counterproductive and it makes Trump look desperate and it makes Trump look weak. Okay, DeSantis and Trump are fighting and this guy's like, mom and dad are arguing. <laughs> that is ridiculous. So Trump has continued on his temper tantrum bender post midterms, wasting no time posting on Truth Social early in the morning, attacking DeSantis. Here's what he said. Now that the midterms are over and a success, News Corp, which is Fox, the Wall Street Journal and the no longer great New York Post, bring back coal, is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, an average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state, but did. Unlike other Republican governors whose overall numbers for Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did. Ron came to me in desperate shape in 2017. He was politically dead, losing in a landslide to a very good agriculture commissioner, Adam Putnam, who was loaded up with cash and great poll numbers. Ron had low approval, bad polls, and no money. But he said that if I would endorse him, he could win. I didn't know Adam, so I said, let's give it a shot, Ron, when I endorsed him. <laughs> okay, so his rant drones on and on on Truth Social, but we're not gonna subject you to that. Uh, after retruthing, I love Trump memes, and a QAnon meme. Look at this, the storm is coming. He is just posting and posting and posting. I think it's hilarious. He's like a sad teenager. Um, Trump then started bullying the governor of Virginia. Glenn Youngkin, here's what he said. Youngkin, now that's an interesting take. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You've gotta, I mean, seriously, this is a grown adult. In Virginia, couldn't have won without me. I endorsed him, did a very big Trump rally for him telephonically. Got MAGA to vote for him, or he couldn't have come close to winning, but he knows that and admits it. Besides having a hard time with the Dems in Virginia, but he'll get it done. But don't forget what Trump put out yesterday. Look at this. For many people that are being fed the take, the fake narrative from the corrupt media that I'm angry about the midterms, don't believe it. I'm not all angry. Did a great job. I wasn't the one running. And I'm very busy looking into the future. Remember, I am a quote, stable genius. So what this sounds like is this tweet here. And another thing, I'm not mad. Please don't put in the newspaper that I got mad. So while Trump blames the media for the midterm failures, remember this important data. So Fox News did the legwork for their evil ass candidates. Look at this. This is cable news weekday interviews of US Senate candidates. Look who's getting most of the airtime. I mean, come on, man, no one can take credit for this but corporate media. This is insane. If people don't know about elections, they're not gonna vote for the people that are running, it's very simple. And the thing about Donald Trump, man, he, he is so angry publicly right now that he is forgetting his strategy. When the January 6th hearing was happening, January 6th, happening. 
he was saying stuff to his chiefs of staff and people in the Oval Office when election results were coming out back in 2020. Nobody can know that I lost. And he was throwing his chicken nuggies and ketchup against the wall. But he didn't acknowledge any of that on Truth Social. But now he's saying, "Oh, they're saying I'm mad. They're they're reporting that people close to me say I'm mad." Usually, his base wouldn't know that other side. They wouldn't know that information about what's really going on. But now that he's addressing it to say that it's fake, now they know about it. Ravana. Yeah, I still say I still believe that Trump is uniquely positioned in this upcoming because he will announce that he's running for president, and there is this ability that Trump has to be able to make fun of the Republican, you know, candidates, whoever they are, and they can't really attack him back because even though. You know, in these elections that we've just seen, Trump's endorsed candidates didn't do particularly well. Trump's endorsed candidates are not Trump himself, right? So he can get on some debate stage just for a Republican presidential primary and attack every single person on there. But they can't really attack him back because then they're losing support of his base, which they still do support him. I mean, in the polls that we've been seeing amongst Republican voters, they still would vote for him over Ron DeSantis. I don't want him to win, but I do think that he's uniquely positioned to attack candidates like Ron DeSantis that they are not uniquely positioned to respond to. Yeah. Mom and dad are fighting, boo hoo, very sad. All right, let's go to this next story. Watch this ridiculousness again. People want both parties to move from the fringes, from the extremes, back to the center. I think a lot of people in this country may say yes, but it's important for us to dig into the substance of what that actually means. As someone who is often, I think, characterized as extreme, I, of course, would object to that. I do not believe that I am as extreme in the way that Marjorie Taylor Greene on the Republican side is extreme. The idea that there is an equating of believing in someone who believes in guaranteed universal health care in the United States with someone who believes that undocumented people should incur physical harm are somehow in the same level of extreme is something that I would object to. In literally any other country in the world, AOC would be in the center of the political spectrum. This is ridiculous. What you just watched is AOC talking to Chris Wallace about being compared to extremists like Marjorie Taylor Greene. So we're now combating this false equivalency narrative yet again. So there's a big difference between people who spew violent fascist rhetoric and people who want to get progressive things done like universal health care, raising the minimum wage. And let's keep in mind that these policies are very popular in the United States. Let's look at a few. So most people are in favor of allowing Medicare to lower drug prices. You can see the difference in the colors here is strongly favor in the dark blue, somewhat favor in the lighter blue, somewhat opposed in the teal, strongly opposed in the darker teal. This is extremely popular. Maternity leave, 82% of Americans want paid maternity leave making it as popular in the United States as chocolate. The minimum wage, raising it to $15 an hour. A large majority of Democrats favor increasing the federal minimum wage, but for some reason, this isn't on every Democratic candidate's party platform when they're running for office. So these policies are not extreme. They're actually quite popular. Let's look at this tweet from Mendy Hassan. One of the great failures of our media in this country is the both 
or the regular both sidesing of far left and far right as some sort of matching counterparts. The far right cozies up to Nazis and incites political violence. The far left wants Medicare for all and a Green New Deal. But AOC is also facing criticism in another arena related to the midterm elections. So look at this headline, New York Democrat who lost his race criticizes AOC saying she didn't campaign much and was nowhere to be found. Keep in mind, Sean Patrick Maloney said AOC didn't help the party enough, which is an allegation that she denies. So Maloney has been chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and he stated, let's be clear, she had almost nothing to do with what turned out to be a historic defense of our majority. Didn't pay a dollar of dues, didn't do anything for our frontline candidates except give them money when she didn't want it from her. She's an important voice in our politics, but when it comes to passing our agenda through Congress or standing on the ground on the political battlefield, she was nowhere to be found. So she replied with this tweet, let's make something crystal clear. SPM courted me for donations to swing races and it was the first thing I did this term. Over a quarter million for the Dems this cycle, the DCCC facilitated some. Now he denies it. If he isn't aware of my visit to California and efforts we put in, that's on him. Ravana. Yeah, John Patrick Maloney was the chair of the DCCC. This is a man who had all the resources available to him. He's the person who allocates resources for congressional runs. He had them all at his disposal and still lost his race. He bigfooted Mondaire Jones out of that district so he could run a losing campaign and then has the nerve to turn on AOC, someone who He's willing to just lie about. And right after the elections, I made a joke that all progressive Democrats won re-election easily. And that's why we need to pivot to the center, an op-ed written by Rahm Emanuel. Like, I mean, because that's exactly what they're doing. I knew that was what they were gonna do. They do it every election. Just as Democrats successful, progressive Democrats successful. AOC won her district the moment that the polls were called. She did get out the vote efforts in her district, which is important to get the down ballot success in New York. Despite the fact that she was easily gonna win her congressional race, she was campaigning for the down ballot votes from her district. And Sean Patrick Maloney is a bitter bitch. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yep, we've got progressives winning across the country and establishment Dems losing their seats. That's where we're at right now. Ravana, where can the people find more of your work? Yes, every Thursday right here on twitch.tv slash TYT. You can see my show reactions right after Unbossed. You can also follow me on Twitter as long as it's around at Ravana TTV. And you can see my videos for Rebel HQ on YouTube and Facebook. Yes, make sure y'all are watching Rebel HQ, it's been great having another day of Unbossed and being here with you. We will see you next time, actually on Monday. I'll see you right here. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network, like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.